Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Montana's only daily sports talk show, Nuanez Now. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. I like football! You know how sometimes you're just reading such a good book that you, you just can't put it down? I've decided, rather than give you like a post-op synopsis about this current book I'm reading, which is The Last Folk Hero by Jeff Perlman. It's a biography that came out last year all about Bo Jackson. If you haven't noticed, uh, I've been in really into the sports biographies lately. Welcome in to Honest Now ESPN Radio. And uh, I thought about just reading this book, because I'm hooked on it for sure, and then just giving you a synopsis at the end. But I'm just going to give you exactly what this book is about, and then I'm just going to read you a little bit of it from time to time. The premise of this book is that Bo Jackson is the last folk hero. And uh, thanks for tuning in, no matter if you're listening on 1029 ESPN uh, Radio or SWX Montana Television or the ESPN MT app. I am Coulter Nuanez coming to you uh, through the ESPN MT studio here. Uh, we do this every weekday from 4 to 6 uh, from the Missoula Broadcasting Company studio here. Uh, ESPN studio at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. Missoula Broadcasting, uh, locally owned and operated for more than 15 years and happy to say so. So the premise of this book, Jeff Perlman, if you're not familiar with him, uh, he's one of the great... Um, how would you describe his style? He's a journalist first and foremost. His reporting is absurd. I mean, this this book has sourcing from like... 840 people or something like that. Uh, so he's very good at talking to a variety of people to make up the, the color and the fabric of a story. Uh, some of his other famous books, Sweetness, which is a 900-plus source biography on Walter Payton, uh, very famous. Boys Will Be Boys, all about the early 1990s Dallas Cowboys. 
Uh, the Blue Wrecking Crew, all about the late 80s and early 90s. Bill Parcells, uh, New York Giants. So per- Perlman's done a lot. He's got a little bit of a connection to the University of Montana here as well, uh, only because, <laughs> not to bring up bad memories, but once upon a time when Montana head coach Bobby Houck was in his first stint leading the football team, he didn't have uh, – he had a little bit of a tiff with the student newspaper, the, the Montana Kaimu, which resulted in a boycott of the student newspaper by both Hauk and his players. And it was certainly a, a messy situation, one that was probably overblown because it really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, that was my first year out of college. But anyways, at that moment in time, there was a guest professor at Montana, Chris Jones, who's a very famous writer, uh, a guy who's written for Esquire and Sports Illustrated. Uh, I was kick. I, I was... I was feeling so uh, left out uh, the year after my senior year of college because Chris Jones was the the Polner professor there at the University of Montana the year after I graduated. So I just missed him. Several of my other good sports writing buddies, including Roman Stubbs, one of my good friends, uh, he got to take Chris Jones's class. So anyways, the Kaiman's in this uh, beef with Bobby Houck, and Chris Jones then sort of sounds the alarm to some of his national writer friends. Jeff Perlman takes the bait. And Jeff Perlman writes a scathing article on, I believe, ESPN.com about Bobby Houck and how he should just, you know, give up the ghost and, and just talk to the student paper and and what yada yada yada. That's a complete side note. Jeff Perlman, though, is a great uh, journalist and uh, also just a great writer as well. So this book, the premise is that you know, since the sort of the, the linking of all medias, the the national and international platform that exists in the media. Uh, you know, cable TV made it so that we could all watch the same thing all around the country and even all around the world. Television was on all the time, all of a sudden, all of that. But it's been only in the last 20 to 25, maybe 30 years where every single myth, every single legend, every single tall tale, well, I could disprove that. I'll just Google it. It's one of the most annoying parts about the evolution of society, Right. I mean, we do have sort of a a profound ability to be more accurate now, but it also, I think, messes with human interaction. Regardless, I'm not saying that you should all just go around telling tall tales and lies and myths and all that. But the myth of a man is it's a lot harder to over-accentuate these days. And so often we we take some of our uh, legendary figures and we tear them down rather than building them up. The premise is that Bo Jackson growing up in Alabama in the late 1970s and early 1980s was uh, the last, the last folk hero, the last person that had true mythology around them. And, you know, you can even argue in the modern era. I mean, I would actually argue that the last real folk hero was Julio Jones. There was all sorts of mythical stories about Julio Jones growing up, uh, in the rural deep south. Um, but Bo Jackson was completely accentuated by that. This book is just crazy. I can tell you story after story. So just from time to time here uh, this summer, I'm just going to read you just quick one-liners just to show you just how ridiculous of an athlete Bo Jackson is. This is from about a third of the way through the book. Uh, to put this in perspective, Bo Jackson was drafted out of high school in baseball Declined that because he went to Auburn to play football, but he also ran track and played baseball at Auburn his first two years. Then he decided to not play baseball his third year at Auburn so he could concentrate on track. Went out and won a bunch of SEC titles in outdoor track, his first season ever doing that. That's how crazy of an athlete this guy is. But then he doesn't play baseball for two years because he doesn't like the coach. Well, then they get a new coach, uh, Coach Baird, and... This guy talks Bo Jackson into coming back and playing. So here's just a brief bit out of The Last Folk Hero uh, by Jeff Perlman. 
The Auburn football team played in the Liberty Bowl on December 27, 1984, and after a couple weeks away from the sport, Jackson reported to Plainsman Park for the first day of baseball practice. That's Auburn's baseball field. Baird, the new coach, and the Auburn players were uncertain what to expect. Jackson had not picked up a bat in nearly two years. I thought that's re- really not enough time to be, or he says, I re- that's really not enough time to face a Division One pitching. Uh, boy, was I wrong. The new head coach was hardly a baseball novice. He pitched collegiately at East Carolina, then bounced around in the minors from 1971 to 1976, spending the majority of his time in the Kansas City Royals system. He goes on to say, I saw four or five guys total who possessed Bo's power, three or four who could run like Bo, three or four who could throw like him. But that was 12 different people, man. It sounds like I'm talking about Superman. But when I first got to Auburn, Auburn football coach Pat Dye told me, Hal, you have a chance to coach the greatest athlete ever. I thought he was exaggerating, but he truly wasn't. Bo was the only person I saw that could alter the geometry of a baseball field. This is where it gets really good. The 90 feet between bases, the 60 feet 6 inches that's the pitcher's mound, those are all baseball measurements Wonderfully implemented to test human abilities. No one's supposed to be able to throw the ball hard or harder from farther than 60 feet 6 inches. But Bo upset those balances. 90 feet wasn't far enough for him. Expected home run distances, they weren't long enough for him. The, The field is 400 feet long. He could hit it 500 feet. He would beat out two hoppers to short because the bases were too close for him. He'd make 350-foot throws from the outfield. There was something to marvel at every single day. This goes on to tell the story of not the first, but the first two 500-foot home runs that Bo Jackson hit. They both happened to be in the first game back after not playing Division I baseball for two years, hitting the ball 500 feet. Uh, I highly suggest this book if you like the legend and lore uh, of people and uh, you want to read about truly probably one of the most gifted uh, pure athletes in the history of the world, uh, you should check this book out. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, uh, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks for humoring me. Sometimes I just like to get rolling in a different uh, way around here. You know, it's, I will say it's challenging to perform every day and and come here and do this show, but I love it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just got to get into it in a little different way. But we got a ton of stuff to get to today. We're going to talk some NBA right off the top here because the conference finals uh, are underway. This is also the time of year where we start to sort of check off the boxes in terms of the sports because. The academic school year is about to be over. The athletic school year for both high school and college sports is over in two weeks. We got divisional track and softball at the high school level going right now. The regional track meet at the collegiate level is coming up next week, as is the state track meets around Montana. And so we're checking out the boxes. But while we're still in it, we want to give spring sports our just due. Every time I've had a free moment or I've been sort of planning the upcoming quarter, uh, as it were, of this show, I, uh, I've i been trying to make a long list of interviews and keep, and keep those suggestions coming in. 406-888-1029. That's 888-1029. Text us. Let us know who you want uh, to interview, to hear from. We, I have a whole extensive list. We're going to launch our, our Senior Spotlight Series here uh, probably the next week or so, highlighting the best interviews. Uh, individual high school boys and girls, senior athletes from all around the state of Montana. But for right now, we want to concentrate on the here and now 
because uh, this is a fun time of year. So that's what we're going to do here for the, the rest of this week and early into next week as well. State golf is rolling for both the Class B and Class C level, so we'll give you a short update on that as well. Uh, the divisional brackets for softball uh, should be out soon. Uh, the tournaments start here this upcoming weekend, and... Uh, one of them is going to be uh, in Frenchtown. So right now we have the official brackets for the Eastern A and the Eastern BC. Both of those are in Billings. Uh, I know that Frenchtown's hosting. I don't know if they've determined the uh, the final seed. So I don't I don't know if we have the the, the team slotted, but that one's absolutely happening. The Western A is uh, in Frenchtown. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, the roster overturns for both the Bobcat and Grizz men's basketball teams continues. Uh, so we'll break down. Who's on the way out? Who's on the way in? We've we've talked about some of these guys a fair amount. Some of them we haven't really mentioned. So I want to get you all caught up, both Cats and Grizz in basketball. Who's gone? Who's new? Uh, who's returning? Uh, so we'll do that uh, about 4.30. Also, uh, I want to keep talking about the history of the NFL, especially in the 1970s, because we had this great book that taught us all about sports all the way up to 1958. And uh, so we're going to continue to... I have a similar exercise. Who do you remember? Who do you only sort of remember? Who do you need a refresher on? Uh, we'll also have our ESPN roundtable today, uh, right off the top of the second hour. And uh, we're going to go through, and, and without being too harsh, m- more just to highlight where each program is at, we're going to give letter grades uh, to all of the, the Bobcat and Grizz uh, collegiate teams. Uh, so, it's, you know, some, some of these sports uh, – are underfunded, and you know where's the expectation at? We'll get into all of it because there, there's actually maybe some more success than people realize. A couple different teams uh, that maybe are improving, uh, or certainly maybe have a little bit elevated expectations moving forward. So we'll talk about all that. We'll talk about uh, letter grades for uh, all the teams for both Montana and Montana State across the board. And then 5:30, uh, we are also now officially into the conference finals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So Mike Anderson our NHL go-to guy, as well as uh, the co-head coach of the Grizz hockey team. He will join us at 5.30. So there you go. Uh, that's your show outlook. It is a Wednesday, so that means it's a wing it Wednesday as well. While we're talking about Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, we'll also give you the opportunity uh, to win a basket of wings from the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. Despo, uh, one of our long-term uh, partners, sponsors, Appreciate them for all their involvement. And uh, if you need a place to watch hockey, go check out the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill right there on Russell Street. Text us who you want to hear from on an interview note, but also text us if you want to be a part of the conversation, 406-888-1029. You can also always stream the show. You can watch it, first of all, SWX, Montana TV, or the ESPN MT app, or you can always stream it uh, audio-wise, 1029 ESPN. Uh, dot com. Andrew, I know I, uh, I've i been reading a lot of sports books this year. That's actually sort of a, a reversion to the past. I spent most of the last couple of years not reading very many sports books. Right now, I'm just hooked on biographies uh, for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but I, I've read a couple of different sports books that I know I've passed along to you. Did you finish uh, Where Men Win Glory, the Pat Tillman book? I did, yeah. What did you think of it? It was interesting. Um, you know, I think a lot of similarities to the way you were talking about Jeff Perlman. Like, John Krakauer is a very deep reporter sure. uh, to start off with, and that's what sort of impressed me the most about it because 
it really is just a master class in reporting aside from for sure uh, the perspective from Pat Tillman's own journals Th- that's the other part about this is is he got access Krakauer got access to all of Tillman's journals if you don't know the the Pat Tillman story Pat Tillman was a, an all-American football player at Arizona State who then went on to play in the NFL for a handful of years he was set to to get a big contract uh, as one of the better safeties in the league and uh, then he decided he and his brother decided to enlist together uh, in the United States Army, became Army Rangers, and then died. Pat Tillman died in Afghanistan, and then his death became uh, polarizing because of its controversy and because uh, of the perceived and then proven uh, friendly fire that caused it. So, so anyways, uh, they had access to all of Pat Tillman's journals, so that was very insightful into the man. I mean, I thought he himself was a captivating figure, even though he was not interviewed for this book whatsoever. Obviously, uh, he's been dead for you know 15 years or whatever. Yeah, I thought the uh, well over twenty years now, but I thought the uh, the journey in sort of the first half of the book, where we are investigating sort of why this uh, all American athlete, this rich NFL football player, who has um, you know grinded his way into the thing that he has wanted all of his life, uh, would choose to to enlist in the army and go off and serve. Uh, in the Middle East, I thought that part was very insightful because, sure. again, aside from the journals, he's talking to all the important figures in Pat Tillman's life, his, his family, his widow, his friends. Um, so there was that. And then also, but, you know, Krakauer is also able to craft a very compelling narrative from the public documents that he was able to obtain. Um, you know, the official communications that yeah. he was able yeah. to obtain to sort of paint a picture of these failed operations in, yep. in Afghanistan. Um, so it was it was really a masterclass on, I, I thought, reporting first, because it's a very difficult subject yes. to put into context uh, the years of history in the Middle East that led up to, uh, you know, sort of the failed American foreign policy that, that sent soldiers over there to, to die. For sure. And I, I would think, I, I actually do think that Americans would be well, uh, they would benefit greatly by, I don't know if this class is still available, but if everybody could take at least a version of this class, uh, I would totally suggest it. One of my favorite classes, one of the best classes I ever took at the University of Montana was a 300-level history class taught by Murdoch Kia, all about uh, the history of Islam, basically, the, the history of the Islamic religion and the way it's influenced the world. And... Um, Man, what unbelievable uh, history and and, uh, such an important thing. I think that, I I don't know, we don't need to go down that road, but if everybody could take it, it'd be very fascinating. But I thought Krakauer did a great job uh, of of dialoguing that history, like you said. Yeah, and and particularly the parts of it that led up to uh, the rise of Islamic terrorism that that was pointed at... um, at the United States, and that more than anything, of course, the 9-11 attacks more than anything, uh, were what incentivized Pat Tillman to to enlist in the Army. You want to say ESPN Radio? Uh, one other crazy thing that I learned uh, today, I, the, uh, the, the, what they call the declaration meeting for the NCAA uh, regional track meets uh, happened, I think, on Tuesday. Doug Fraley, the... Uh, head coach for the Grizz track team, he mentioned this on the show on Monday. I can't remember if he said it was Monday night or Tuesday night, but he said that the the conference call for the declarations was coming up. So what that means is uh, there's automatic qualifying standards for the NCAA East and West regional track meets, 
But in a, but also the 48 top competitors in each event go to regionals. So sometimes in certain events, there's not 48 automatic qualifiers. So then other uh, individuals have to declare, and then they can basically be chosen or not. So regardless, uh, that's why sometimes you see every once in a while Grizz or Bobcats that are headed to the NCAA West Regionals without having an automatic qualifying standard, but having one that's pretty close. So uh, there's several Grizz, several Bobcats that are expected to go to the uh, NCAA uh, West Regionals. Of course, the four Big Sky champions for both uh, for, or for the Grizzlies, Jaden Green in the 110 hurdles, Holly Sudel in the 400-meter hurdles, uh, Evan Todd in the javelin, and Aaron Wild in the high jump. Uh, all four of them expected to go to regionals. Uh, but we'll see if there's other Grizz that qualify. Uh, on the Bobcat side, certainly uh, Duncan Hamilton, Ben Perrin, uh, Camilla Noe, all those outstanding distance runners expected to go to regionals, uh, almost certainly going to go to regionals. And uh, probably the steeplechase uh, foursome that, that went one, two, three, six in the men's steeplechase there for Bo- the Bobcats, including Rob McManus and Levi Taylor, and maybe even Owen Smith, who got sixth. They might all be headed to regionals, too. Uh, but we'll let you know uh, when all that happens. But I was looking at some of the qualifying marks. I'm looking at some of just the best marks in the various events. And and as Andrew so accurately pointed out, uh, track is so awesome because it just is what it is. But also a lot of times you know exactly where you fit into the hierarchy of track uh, within the conference, within the region, uh, nationally, and on a world scale. Because the time is just the time, and, that, and that's exactly all it can be. Some of the stuff, some of the top marks, though, are, are really good, but they're not like completely otherworldly compared to like a. Uh, I'd actually say the Big Sky's a, a high mid major league in track, just because the distance cores at, at Montana State, Northern Arizona, Weber State are so good. Um, but some of the, the marks are great, but not like, oh, wow, that's that's like out of the realm of possibility for anybody from the big sky. One mark I saw today, though, just made my head almost explode. <laughs> Jaden Hibbert, who is a freshman at the uh, University of Arkansas, which, by the way, has uh, one of the, the premier track and field programs in the in the country, He's originally from Jamaica. He, he's already competed on the Jamaican national team. But this young man in the triple jump went 58 feet, seven and a half inches. 58 feet. To put that in perspective, 48 feet is a really good jump. <laughs> this guy, so then I was like, okay, that has to be a typo. Okay, it's not a typo. Okay, where does that rank all time? I go look up the, the all-time collegiate record. Oh, it broke the all-time collegiate record by 13 inches. He broke the the all-time collegiate record by more than a foot. The record used to be held by Mike Conley Sr. Senior. Uh, Mike Conley Sr. Uh, is, in fact, the father of Mike Conley Jr., who is the... Uh, the point, the NBA point guard who's played in the league for uh, more than a decade. So that was pretty funny. Uh, then I went to look up to see where that would rank all time in in the world. It's up there. It's about a, a foot and three inches uh, short of the world record. But I, I just I just couldn't believe that. So uh, there's your crazy stat of the day. Arkansas freshman Jaden Hibbert uh, of the of Jamaica. He goes 58 feet seven and a half inches in the triple jump. Uh, just crazy. The uh, State B and C golf tournaments are going on right now. The State B tournament 
is up in Shelby. This is our Prep Extra, by the way, presented by Farmer State Bank. Farmer State Bank has been enriching the lives of Montanans since 1907. The, uh, the Class B tournament is up at the Marias Valley Golf Club uh, up there in Shelby, which is a great course. And uh, here's where we're at. I think these are final. I believe this is just a two-round tournament. On the boys' side in the team race, Anaconda takes first. Plus 52 is their cumulative score. Boulder is second. Forrest Carlton, third. Loyola, fourth. Uh, and Glasgow uh, is fifth. Uh, for the girls' side in Class B, Boulder wins, and, and that's not a surprise. They have a very good golf program there at Jefferson County High School uh, for girls' golf. They've had s- several different teams that have won uh, state championships. Uh, Boulder's first, Shelby second, Malta third, Three Forks fourth, Three Forks usually a perennial contender in Class B as well. Uh, Florence Carlton uh, is fifth. Uh, for individual results in Class B, I'll just give you the, the top three placers in each. Christian Habets of Conrad shoots 88-78 uh, for a gross total of 166. He wins by four strokes over Marcus Lee of Boulder. And then Cade Sorley of Huntley Project comes in in third. For the uh, girls' individual results, Adeline Tronrude of uh, Big Timber, Sweetgrass County High School, and Reese Brinney of Florence Carlton. They tie, so I guess I'll have to give you an update. Uh, I'll let you know if they go into a playoff or, or who won. I'll, I'll find out for you, but on the official scoreboard, uh, Adeline Tronrud and uh, Reese Brinney tied, and then Gracie Roller of Columbus uh, is third. So we'll come back to some some Class C results uh, maybe a little bit later on. Divisional softball uh, begins this weekend as well. The Eastern A tournament is at Stewart Park in Billings, as is the Eastern BC. Uh, the Western A tournament is in Frenchtown. And uh, we'll give you updates on where the other ones are at as well. Divisional track is this weekend. Western Double A is in Helena. Uh, Western Double, or excuse me, State Double A. Uh, the state meet is in Butte next weekend. And uh, I don't know. It's gonna be a fun couple weeks to to watch all of it uh, round out. Uh, last thing for you before we uh, get into some some college basketball talk. Uh, the NBA. Uh, playoffs rolled on last night. Conference finals began. And uh, what a fun game it was between the, the Lakers and the Nuggets. Denver was rolling uh, L.A. They are up 18 at halftime. They led by as many as 21. L.A. came storming all the way back. They eventually cut it to three uh, in the waning minutes. But then the Nuggets closed it out. The Nuggets end up winning by six. <laughs> Vegas celebrates on both sides because the spread was six and a half. So neither the, those who bet the Nuggets... Uh, to to cover six and a half, and or those that bet the Lakers t- to cover six and a half, neither one of those uh, won. So that's hilarious. Um, but I, I I thought a gutty effort by Denver to close it out. I mean, for the Lakers to have a true chance in this Western Conference Finals, I I do think they need to steal home court from Denver. I don't think they're going to win a game seven in Denver. So, therefore, they have to win one of the other games in Denver, uh, you know, assuming that they take care of business in, in the games at home. 
it's been the LeBron special for the last couple years going out and, and, and winning game one uh, on the road. They did it in the last series uh, against the Warriors to get to this point. If the Lakers would have won that game last night, I think that would have been a huge blow to uh, to Denver. I think that that would have been hard for Denver. I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to roll over and die, and I certainly think that would have meant they would roll in game two, but uh, I think it would have been a, a devastating loss for, for the Nuggets. Instead, it's a heartbreaker for the Lakers. You know, if you just get blown out and you shut it down down the stretch, you just say that, and you just, okay, you know, flush that one, let's roll, let's, let's move on to the next one. And uh, the Lakers didn't do that. They came all the way back. They rallied. You know, I tweeted this last night, but I think I think Austin Reeves is making about a million dollars per three-pointer at this point. This kid's like from G League to LeBron James's sidekick, and he is absolutely going to get paid by somebody, whether it's the Lakers or, or, or on the open market. But uh, the Lakers came storming all the way back. But now I think the other factor here is that, uh, you know, we've been teasing about it all playoffs long, and you know Shaq's crumpling up his piece of paper, and Charles Barkley's having laughing fits, talking about Anthony Davis and just how inconsistent he is. And, uh, you know, sometimes he's brilliant, though. I think that's the other part the Lakers are going to have to bounce back from big time, though. You get your 40-point game from AD, and you don't win. And so now you can't handle the every other if it's off sync, if you get the best effort out of Anthony Davis, then I think you got to really, I mean, you have to do your best to win that game. And the Lakers did, uh, but I thought it was a gritty effort. I thought it was a gutsy effort uh, by the Denver Nuggets. More NBA a little bit later on, but we got to give you an update on what's going on in the uh, the roster evolution of both Montana State and Montana uh, men's basketball. There's a whole bunch of guys on the way out, a whole bunch of guys on the way in. Y- you've heard, but let's put it all in one place for you. That's next. Keep it right here. Nuan is now ESPN Radio. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. When it comes to criminal defense, what's an example of why someone could or should call Schulte Law? Criminal defense happens on somebody's worst day, you know, and it doesn't mean that someone's a bad person. We all make mistakes. We all make choices that maybe aren't the best choice. And that can lead to dramatic consequences in somebody's life. So we're really focusing on personal injury and criminal defense. We do a lot of different areas of the law, though. We have a strong background in real estate. Um, We handle family law for clients, ton of mediations. The ultimate reality is, is that people have bad days. And that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschultilaw.com. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. What a July it's going to be. And I get to see Blues Traveler and Incubus in the span of like two weeks. I can't wait. I'm not wishing time away, though. Happy to be here with you. Uh, welcome back. Nuana's now. ESPN Radio. Uh, because it is a Wednesday, we have some wings coming up for you in about an hour. It's the uh, Wing It Wednesday like we do every Wednesday here. Uh, presented by the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. A dozen of the best wings you're going to find anywhere uh, in the city of Missoula. And we'll also pair it 
with some Stanley Cup playoffs coverage. If you want a place to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs, go head on down to the Despo there uh, on Russell, at one of the best hockey bars in town. The Wings keep you coming back for more. But they got great burgers, beers, uh, all that sort of stuff. So go check out the Stanley Cup playoffs at the uh, Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. Ton of roster overturn when it uh, comes to both Montana and Montana State men's basketball. You just heard part of it in the sports center there. Uh, So let's go through it quickly. First of all, players from the Grizz that we know uh, that we have, we've talked about here uh, that are, that are gone. Josh Bannon, uh, the all big sky forward. Who's now going to play professionally in Brisbane, Australia. Lionel Martin, who was a starter last year for the Grizz on the wing, he is uh, has transferred and has uh, resurfaced at Arkansas Pine Bluff. Trey Lawrence, who was a walk-on for the Grizz, he has retired. And uh, Jonathan Brown, who was uh, a Division II transfer into the program last year, he ended up, I think, at the University of the Cumberlands. <laughs> and I hadn't really heard of that, but good for him. Uh we had talked about those guys leaving. Then the other two that we haven't really uh, commentated on, we'll hold this thought for just a minute before we get through all the departures on both sides of the rivalry. Uh, but Isaiah Kerr, who was a uh, highly recruited guy out of Southern California, I guess Northern California, uh, technically the, the Bay Area, uh, who redshirted last year, as well as Darrell Thomas, who was a redshirt last year for the Grizz. So those are the guys that are on their way out with eligibility remaining. For the Bobcats... More high-profile departures. Bannon's a high-profile departure for sure. Lionel Martin, a starter, but but certainly a role player, not an all-league player. Uh, for Montana State, uh, you had three uh, all-big sky depart, uh, you know, transfers out of the program. Raquan Battle, who was a first-team all-league player, uh, he ended up at West Virginia. Great Osobar, who was the big sky's top reserve last year, he ended up at Utah State with former Montana State head coach Danny Sprinkle. And Darius Brown, who was the defensive player of the year in the big sky last year, uh, he ended up at Utah State as well. Nick Gazalis, I think we touched on that just for a half a second, but he was a bench guy the last two years for the Bobcats. He ended up at Prairie View A&M. Alex Germer, who's a former uh, Montana Player of the Year out of Missoula Sentinel, uh, he ended up at the College of Idaho. And then uh, Luca Colsiga, a uh, uh, guy, an international player there for the Bobcats. He was a, a redshirt last year as well. Uh, he also entered the portal. So I want to circle back first, Andrew, to the Grizz part of this. Uh, this is tough to evaluate just because we hardly make it down to practice anymore, and uh, that's the only way to really evaluate guys that are red-shirting. But it also seems like, well, it doesn't seem like, it, it is a trend uh, here for Grizz men's basketball. I'd say at least a four, maybe even a five-year trend, where about half the guys they bring in as freshmen, whether they redshirt or play, don't come back for a second year. But then a part of me thinks that that's not just those guys being dissatisfied or leaving the program. A part of me thinks it's a mutual decision and there's a lot of roster overturn uh, being had on both sides because Travis DeCure's just uh, intent on rebuilding this thing every year. I don't think they want to lose the top-end guys, uh, but it seems like a lot of times the, the bottom-end guys are, are sort of rotating doors. So what do we think of, of Isaiah Kerr and Darrell Thomas leaving? To me, it just seems like business as usual in college basketball as a whole, right? I mean, hey, so we're I just, just kind of numb to this, right? A lot of those guys are going to cycle out of your pro- in and out of your program every year, either because uh, you know they didn't get the playing time that they wanted, for they sure. redshirted for a year, or they don't see a role going forward, or you know all the other reasons that we've talked about, right? They didn't for adjust sure. well to Missoula. 
they want to go back closer to home. I, I just think you don't like to see it, but on the other hand, I, I just think that's something that's going to happen every year, sort of at the, at totally. the bottom of these rosters as players are going to cycle in and out. For for the Grizz, aside from Josh Bannon leaving a year early to go pro, yeah. all this other stuff just seems sort of like, like business as usual. For sure. I, I think that the argument would be that you want to keep some of the younger guys just so you have somebody that's actually developing. You know, and Even if they just go from being the last three guys on the roster to then like the 11th through 9th guys on the roster, that's still progress within your program, but but also, it's so easy to readily uh, replace a lot of these guys as well. And I also would say this. For as much as we so- sort of want to make uh, a boogeyman in today's day and age, like all this stuff is happening at such a rapid level, I will say as somebody that uh, you know spent most of my life in Missoula and went to school at the University of Montana, that's nothing. There's been at least one freshman that has come to Missoula from out of state that just didn't like it here or just didn't fit in. I mean, I can remember guys that I went to college with, guys my brother went to college with. That's just kind of how it goes. Like, a lot of times if you come here from California, you thought you liked it, but you only spent four days here on your visit, and then you come in and you're like, well, I just don't really like it that much, and that's fine. And so I do think there's uh, an element there as well. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you remedy the the building of the bottom half of the roster at Montana or any other Big Sky school at this sort of uh, current iteration. Well, we talked about a little bit. Maybe it is you're you're grabbing more of the local kids because uh, you know Kevin yeah. Bateman's one of the guys that stayed on the roster. Um, you know, maybe th- those guys obviously know the deal with Montana. They know the deal For about sure. what it's going to be like well, to live in Missoula. And there, there's also you know people would say, well, why do a whole bunch of out of state football players come here and thrive? Well, they have a lot more Montana guys to show them what's going on, and they also have a much larger community much with a hundred yeah. people to kind of support you. Like if you're one of three freshmen and you just like. We've seen this before, too, where there's three freshmen, and two of them live together, and they like each other. And then the third guy is just kind of out. You know, it's just hard to, I to mean, get football, through it. I mean, you're with the group of 20 other guys who are registering. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Exactly. And you have 100 other teammates to kind of boost you up. All right. So let's look at then who uh, the programs are bringing in. The Grizz are bringing in Tejon Sawyer, who's a six foot eight big man uh, who's transferred from San Francisco City College. Uh, had good numbers in JC. We had him on the show. Seems like uh, a straight, uh, squared away young man. Uh, Jordan Williams is another transfer the Grizz are bringing in. He's from Santa Barbara. Uh, he's coming off a knee injury that cost him most of last season. Um, and his numbers the year before that, rather pedestrian, but I think that they want him to be a shooter, sort of a 3 and D guy. So we'll see. We'll see how he fits in. And then Blake Jones, uh, the, the latest addition for the Grizz, a transfer from George Mason. Uh, the things that pop out, in, a, in a, a positive fashion, he's 6'10". He's Australian, so that keeps the Aussie connection going. I have to imagine, I think he was at that uh, NBA Developmental Academy in Australia. That's Anderson Clark's father is very involved, maybe even the head of that, right? Anderson Clark, a grad assistant there at the University of Montana. And, uh, th- you know, that's kind of been their, their pipeline from Australia. So maybe a guy, even though he's coming from a, an East Coast school in George Mason that has a little bit of familiarity, at least with the coaching staff. Uh, but then on the other side, I was struck by this guy's numbers. He didn't even average a point per game, and he only shot 17% from the floor. So uh, I, I think Sawyer has a chance to be pretty solid. I don't know about Williams. I think he's got to get healthy. But if he's just a 3 and D guy, I think that's fine for the Grizz. And then I don't know. I don't know how high of a level Blake Jones has to hit at. But um, where are we at with these transfers? Yeah, I think you can see... Uh, I'll point in Travis DeCure's favor here as I think you can see really easily what Travis DeCure is trying to do with these guys. He's bringing in guys to fill specific roles. He's not just bringing in guys 
and hoping they can be good, hoping sure, that they can sure. be the top players on the team. I think that right. the roles for these guys are very easily defined. I mean, Jordan. So then, Williams, who are you building around? Is the question though, right? Because I totally agree with you. That's been a question for Montana. I mean, since Zion Pritchard graduated, for most of for several of the last couple of years, for sure. Last year it was Josh Bannon and Anand Moody. Yeah, um, I think Anand Moody's probably the answer this year, for sure. Um, But these guys, I mean, I think you're hoping Jordan Williams can can replace Lonel Martin Jr.'s production on the wing. Is he a guy who can hit an open three-pointer? Can he bring a little bit of athleticism, a little bit of shot creating? And then, you know, with Tejon Sawyer, Blake Jones... I think you're you're trying to replicate Josh Bannon's production, and that's why you need to bring in multiple guys to do it. Yeah, because you're not neither of those guys is going to be Josh Bannon. But I mean, looking at Tajon Sawyer, he's a guy who can step out and shoot it a little bit. He's a guy who can crash the boards. Don't know much about Blake Jones. I'm not going to read anything into him shooting 17 percent if he's only if he's averaging under a point a game because it's just so small of a sample totally. size. Yeah. He's just he's a guy who wasn't in George Mason's rotation, right. but certainly he's got some physical gifts. He's 6'10. Yep. I assume uh, you know maybe this is just a, a stereotype on my part, but coming out of that NBA Global Academy in Australia, I assume he's a pretty skilled guy. So For maybe, sure. Maybe there's something to build on there. Well, And that academy builds toughness. Like, all the guys that have sure. played him, but the big guy from there have been tough. And that, at the very least, you know, like, they can hang. They could bang in the post. You know, they're going to step up to the challenge. They'll and, be competitive. And work ethic as well, because you're For doing sure. a, a professional-style setting yeah. from, you know, whenever whatever age you are when you end up there. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. An update on men's hoops recruiting. Uh, for the Bobcats, here's who they've brought in. Jaden Jaron, I, th- I hope I'm saying that, that right. G-E-R-O-N. Jaden Jaron, who's a six foot eight rice transfer. Uh, looks like a stretch four for sure. I uh, didn't shoot it very well last year. He's four of 15 from three and four of 18 overall. Um, but a guy that has a great frame. Uh, when I'm looking at some of these like guys that weren't big-time players on their teams, but they're coming as a drop-down, quote-unquote, from a higher-level conference, I like to look at their high school resume and see then how I would evaluate if the Cats with the Grizz got a guy like that out of high school. Because this guy's basically gone, like Jaden Jaron is an example of a guy that went to a program like Rice, who's certainly in a, a bigger conference than the Big Sky, toiled, you know, I mean, didn't, didn't play. He only played in 13 games last year. So, uh, you know, didn't get the opportunity, but he's still working with a higher level of competition in practice. So I always think to myself, okay, so... If these schools recruited this guy based on his high school resume and then he got two years worth of developing at a higher league, what would you think of that guy? Uh, so I don't know. It's, it remains to be seen, but that's kind of the initial entry point there. Uh, so Jaden Jaron's one. Aiden Gare is another. He, I misspoke yesterday. I said this young man was coming in from a Missouri high school. No, he's playing at Missouri State West Plains. That's actually pretty impressive. If you know anything about junior college basketball, uh, I would say that uh, – the two most competitive junior college leagues in the country are the, the California Junior College League and uh, the Jayhawk League that includes a bunch of the Missouri and Kansas um, junior colleges. Missouri State West Plains is in that. Uh, there's been a lot of great, great players that have come out of that JC League. I would actually love to like write a feature about that or write a, write a book even about it or read one uh, uh, as well because I think that's just such a fascinating landscape. You're talking about last chance you. I want a last chance you on the Jayhawk League in basketball. Anyways, Aiden Gare, 15.4 points per game at the Missouri State West Plains JC. He shot 39% from three. 
other new Bobcats, Brian Garaki, who is a 6'5 point Loma transfer. He averaged 13 points per game last year, shot 40% from three. So there's a trend here, and it's not a surprise. If you ever watched Matt Logie's teams at Whitworth, um, you know that they like to spread it, they like to shoot it. And so you know, all of these guys that they're bringing in certainly have the ability to stretch the floor. And then uh, as of, uh, I think recently, all oh, 48 minutes ago, Edward Turner III has also committed to the Bobcats. He uh, previously played at Columbia. Now, that's the extent of all I know. He also, I think, is really into economics because his entire Twitter line between his Bobcat commitment and a picture of him in a Columbia jersey like 40 tweets later was all, it's all about economic stuff and cryptocurrency. So <laughs> maybe this guy has like a future financial advisor. Do we know anything about Ed, Edward Turner III? Yeah, interesting guy because I'm just looking up his resume here. He's a, he's a Seattle guy. He went to Garfield oh, yeah. uh, High School in Seattle. Uh, it actually says on his Columbia bio he's an architecture major. So that's go. interesting. Uh, he's a guy who who played a little bit two seasons ago for Columbia. Played in about 10 games, but he started nine of those. He was averaging about 10 points per game. And then in mid-January, his statistics for that season end, and he drops completely off the map. So he did average double figures, though, in the in the Ivy League. Because he, that's, that's he was just, about nine points per game pretty in, comparable. in 10 games. Definitely. It's pretty comparable league, right? I mean, the, the Big Sky champion this year, Montana State, got 14, a 14 seed, and the Ivy League champ, Princeton, got a 15. Obviously, went better for Princeton than anybody. That's right. Uh, but still, I mean, it is a little bit. I mean, if, you, if you're scoring 10 points per game in the Ivy League, you can score in the Big Sky. That's right. But then uh, he dropped completely off the map for last season. He wasn't even on Columbia's roster for 2022-23, so I don't know whether it was a, a big injury or what happened, but I don't know if he played at all last year. Uh, curious, but a, a guy who's shown some things, and he's from the Seattle area, great basketball area. To give you a final bow on the evaluation of all this, it's all to be determined for sure. But in terms of the Grizz guys, I do think Tejon Sawyer, what I saw in his film looks good. Uh, he's a very big and athletic guy. And he, he can shoot it with a little bit of touch as well. Uh, completely TBD on Blake Jones, the George Mason transfer. Uh, but if you're going to take a chance on a guy, why not take a chance on a guy who's 6'10"? And uh, for the Bobcats, I mean, all these guys are shooters, so they're going to have to figure out how to shoot it. I will say Brian Garaki, the Point Loma transfer, it's easy to scoff at and say, well, why would you ever want to bring a D2 guy in? I thought Brock McKenzie, who's formerly of Point Loma, who played at Idaho State last year, was one of like the eight or nine best players in the entire conference. A uh, little bit of an adjustment period, but after that. For sure, but once he figured it out, he started going nuts. I mean, he almost beat Weber State by himself. If it wasn't for Dylan Jones winning that game by himself in Pocatello, uh, Brock McKenzie almost did it. I mean, on a Moody's signature game that had us gushing for half an hour on the radio, Brock McKenzie almost outdueled him in that. McKenzie had like 30 points in that game. So um, the point is, Point Loma guys have had an impact. But more than anything, I don't know if Garaki's going to be like a home run Brock McKenzie type guy, an all-league player right out the gates. But uh, I do think he'll be familiar with Logie's system. And so, uh, you know, if he's a guy that just accepts whatever role is there for him, uh, that, that could be valuable to Logie kind of implementing what he wants to do there at Montana State. Yeah, I think he'll be able to do exactly what Matt Logie wants him to do, exactly what role Matt Logie has envisioned for him, or else he wouldn't be, be coming to Montana State. You know, Logie wouldn't have recruited him. For sure. And then the last one we got to mention, because it's not a uh, it's it's uh, not a new face, but it is a new recruit because you thought you were losing this guy. It's Robert Ford III. And I actually think that could be an underrated return for Montana State because – Robert Ford III deserves a lot of credit. He was an all-Big Sky point guard at Idaho State. It was on a not-very-good team, but he was still an all-Big Sky guy. 
And then he transferred to Montana State, and he sat behind Darius Brown. But he did play about 20 minutes a game, and he was certainly a spark plug off the bench for the Cats. Um, but if he can pick up the system, he can do a few things at, at a big sky elite level. I mean, he can speed up the game. He's certainly really athletic. He's a great on-ball defender. So um, if he can pick up the system, I think that could be a, a good return for Montana State. Yeah, and again, I think it's a guy who um, you know wouldn't be coming back there if he wasn't aware of yeah his what what his role in the system is going to be under Matt Logie and, and wasn't excited about it um, and and sort of vice versa. You know, Matt Logie certainly has envisioned what Robert Ford can be for that team. That's why he recruited him back to Montana State. That's part of why he's back there. He's a guy who, uh, you know, like you said, he brings a lot to the table. He's certainly a a starting caliber big sky point guard. That's right. He just just backed up the best best pure point guard in the league last year. That's right. And, you know, if you're starting a team over from scratch, that's like the one guy you want to have back from last year's team is, is the point guard. Totally. Who would you rather? Have? This is such an inflammatory question. We got to go, but I got to ask you real quick. Who would you rather have, Robert Ford or Brandon Whitney? Depends where you're at. It de- it depends, definitely depends, depends on where your you're system at. is. For sure, depends and, what you need. Like I've been saying, I thought I think the Grizz and the Grizz were last year. The Grizz were at their best when they played Brandon Whitney off the ball. That's why I think the Grizz need to find another player to play on the ball because Whitney is a point guard size. And he can play point, but he's better playing off the ball because then he can be an ISO scorer in the half court, which is what the Grizz so desperately need. Uh, but that's actually going to be an interesting one. We'll come back to that one uh, in a few months. Remind me. It is Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Let's learn about some 1970s football players. That's next. Don't change the dial. 1029 ESPN Missoula. ESPN Radio Missoula. Yeah, delay on the TV from the radio is like 10 seconds. And sometimes I'm trying, like right there, I was just stretching. <laughs> and it comes back, and I think I got uh, standing back upright right before uh, the camera came back up. But really, I was a second late. So don't worry, I'm not dying. I was just, you know, stretching. And then here I am on live TV. Can't believe you guys let me do this. <laughs> Welcome back to What Is Now, ESPN Radio. Uh, SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. Uh, long story short, because I know we're already running out of time here in hour number one, but uh, we have this cool book, The 100 Greatest Sports Heroes, copyright 1958. And uh, it was an interesting exercise to go through all 100 heroes. Who do you remember? Who do you forget? Uh, who do you sort of remember? So we're going to do similar type exercises uh, about various different eras of uh, sporting history in America. We started doing 1970s football players last week with Rajim Seabrook, and it turned into more of a pop quiz, seeing if he could name all the guys that were on this list rather than uh, actually giving you lessons about said um, guys. So we're just going to do one today. I think this guy is a name that resonates. He's certainly not one. He, he, he He's in the category of legend where... If you say his name, people say, oh, yeah, I know. I know who Bob Lilly is. I know Bob Lilly was an all-time great cowboy. But they, but they don't really know why, right? So, so the why of why he became a legend sort of has faded a little bit. But the who he is certainly uh, remains. 
Andrew, if I was to ask you about Bob Lilly, do you know anything about Bob Lilly? I mean, is that accurate? You would probably say, yes, I know who that is. And I'd say, who do you play for? You'd probably say Cowboys. And then after that, would you know, give me any other details? Yeah. Uh, name, team, position. That's yeah, all I got. That's yeah. all you got, right? Uh, so Bob Lilly played for the Dallas Cowboys 1961 to 1974. He was their first basically all-time great player. He... Uh, Led the Cowboys to a win in Super Bowl VI, which was the Cowboys' first Super Bowl win. He was a seven-time first-team All-Pro, a two-time second-team All-Pro, so nine times All-Pro. That that in itself is unbelievable. Eleven-time Pro Bowler. He was on both the 1960s and 1970s All-Decade team. He was also on the NFL's 75th anniversary team, the NFL's 100th anniversary team. He was the first player ever uh, inducted into the Cowboys' Ring of Honor. I think he's probably one of those guys as a defensive tackle that it's hard to to measure because he played during an era before sacks were a f- official statistic. But I guess the, the thing that you could say it, uh, that most thoroughly defines Bob Lilly is that the day he retired from the NFL, he was considered unquestionably the greatest defensive lineman to ever play the game. Now, there's certainly probably been at least 25, if not more, guys that have come along that are in that same breath that are among the all-time great defensive linemen since Bob Lilly retired in 1974. But at the moment that he retired, uh, it was Bob Lilly, and then it was everybody else. So, I mean, he's nicknamed Mr. Cowboy. Uh, Sports Illustrated named him one of the 10 most revolutionary defensive players of all time. Uh, he's listed on list after list after list after list as uh, one of the great defensive players in the history of the NFL. So there you go. Bob Lilly remembered. By the way, on this list that I'm using for reference for 1970s great football players, Bob Lilly was only ranked 16th. That's because he played from 1961 uh, to 1974. So he only played uh, a couple years in the 70s, and they were not his best years. His best years certainly were 1964 to 1970. He was a first-team All-Pro each and every one of those seasons. We'll keep giving you some historical lessons about uh, NFL football players uh, throughout the rest of the summer. Hour one in the books, hour two coming at you. A report card. We'll do grades for all of the sports at both Montana and Montana State. We won't be too harsh, I promise. And plus, there's a lot of high grades on this report card. That's our ESPN Roundtable subject. Don't change the dial. Keep it right here. It's ESPN Radio. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 